Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. To a very special episode of That's What People Do. You are joined by me, Ryan McGowan, and as always, James Kay. How are you doing? Happy birthday, everyone. We made it. I'm doing very well. How are you? Yes, happy birthday indeed. We are four years old today. God, we're getting big, aren't we? Time time goes so quickly. We've gone through the uh the terrible twos, the yeah. toddler phase. Uh we're we're about to start primary school. Do you start primary school at four? No. What what school no, do you No, I think you do. Four? Yeah, nursery's like three and then prime yeah, maybe. No. Reception, infant school. So what what we're actually about to do is start going to like reception and start interacting with other children soon. Wow. Um, so yeah, we've got to be <laughs> is that a thing is that a thing with kids like if there's like two brothers of a similar age and then they get put into reception like imagine two twins and they just stick together and don't like any other kids and we're gonna have to play nicely with other podcasts soon and be like hi oh no i don't want to fuck him no well we've got guests there on the show coming up in that so uh we we, we have to be playing nice soon more sociable um, yeah but to anyone yeah, who more didn't... social to anyone who didn't think we'd make our fourth birthday, I guess this is a, a giant fuck you to them. Yeah, how wild is that? Like, when we first started, and we talk about it all the time because, you know, it's it's a big, like, it's it's an origin story. It's good fun. Um, but, like, I remember when we got to 10 episodes and we were so gassed that we, like, we'd done it. We hit double digits. Wasn't um, our target 12? Didn't we say if we manage to get to 12, we'll keep going for a while? But if man. we didn't get to 12, we'll pack it in. I remember when we got our first hundred listeners as well, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like we're bona fide podcasters, and it's like, that was no, really exciting. no, we weren't. Um, and also, like, fun little thing. I don't know whether can we say. It? I don't know whether we say. It. Someone else that we used to work with at Dungeon, two people started a podcast very soon after we had started one. 
Mm. And I don't know whether it's because they'd seen how we were getting on that they thought, oh, we could probably do that too. They don't do it at all. Like it maybe lasted two or three, four episodes. And it's then a lot it just of work. died to death. It's a, it's a lot yeah. of work. I think, did COVID help us just to sort of plow on? May, or maybe, but then we've carried on anyway. It's just part, I feel like it's just part of our life now. Like I don't think that much about doing it anymore. It's just something that I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. That's a really good way of putting it. Like I don't consciously think oh i do a podcast like I, i'm just like yeah I, that's what i do it's just the thing that i do now that's what it's people do me. that's what people do yeah mad four yes. whole years and i'm like you said when we got excited about our first hundred listens which took us a long time by the way because it used to be just our mums listening like if we yeah. released an episode now and it only got 100 listens we would be devastated we'd be like what has gone wrong yeah so it's, it's amazing how targets like change yeah absolutely absolutely um now, of course, uh, it is our four-year uh, birthday, um, which means we have had quite a lot of announcements that have gone out. Uh, well, they should have all gone out today, so uh, you should have seen by now. We do have a small video that's just gone out that we produced. Um, which Can I just interject? Page. I'm really sorry. Please fucking watch that video because you have no idea the level of pain that went into creating <laughs> that video. Like, for you, it's two, three minutes. For us, it was a whole day. I felt, at one point, I thought I was going to pass out. I felt sick. My legs hurt for, like, two days went, afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Like, it it was painful. So, yeah. watch, watch the fucking video. Yes. Now, for context, of course, because James has just gone on a rant about how he got in a lot of pain on one day. Uh, we produced and created a video. Uh, we have a Patreon uh, page now uh, where you can subscribe to us. We have a video where we are basically pleading for you to give us support and help. So um, it will do a hell of a lot better a job at explaining and helping and pushing for you guys to join our Patreon than I can right now. Um, so I do heavily um, recommend you go and watch that video. Um, and we would be eternally grateful um, if you were to support us there. Um, now, of course, what you're about to listen to today um is the audio version of what we had filmed this today's episode has been filmed in a small documentary style with the interview of terry wade who we'll be talking to in a bit or I'll introduce um and uh yeah it's available on patreon too so if you want to watch uh you can do so there and it's worth the watch because it's not just us sitting down with terry is it james it's a full-on day yeah, yeah, out yeah, in yeah. london isn't it you, you see everything we talk about you see there's there's visuals you see our faces you see terry's face you see the murder sites you don't see jack the ripper unfortunately i thought he'd make an appearance but he decided <laughs> not to maybe that that's the part of the mystery of him though isn't it um, yeah but th that that day as well was a lot of walking so please watch that video too yes uh now where are we so obviously it's a four-year special episode we're talking about jack the ripper now we said that we would do this like the first so many episodes in didn't we we always said we'll get terry on we'll get terry on and most people thought who the fuck is this terry person yeah. you are about to hear terry uh we asked terry if he'd join us to help us uh do our four-year special episode he was he was very helpful with us and uh joined us to talk about jack the ripper because it's an in-depth conversation uh and and you know the mormons took long enough this would take longer than that, I'll tell you that. <laughs> um so yeah, what we did is Terry does ripper tours around London. Uh, we did his tour. He showed us around. That was all filmed uh, and is part of the documentary that's now on Patreon. And then we sat down with Terry and uh, we discussed the murders 
a bit more in depth. So how was the day for you, James? Like when we walked around with Tail and whatnot, like how, how did you find the day talking about Jack the Ripper? Because I'm not sure if you knew too much about it beforehand. See, I'd, I'd, I'd never done this tour. I'd always meant to do it, but I never did. Um, Jack the Ripper is one of them things I think I'd, I went into the day knowing about as much as everyone else. Like you'll hear in the interview that Terry corrects me a few times because I just sort of go in with my preconceived knowledge and he's like, well, actually, which I'm glad that he did because I spat a lot of shit. Um... I thought they were all prostitutes, all the all the women that he killed. I don't want to spoil that for you. Um, but I also, for me, it's really weird. I get this thing. I don't want to sound too like spiritual and wanky about it, but like I can stand in like a place and like just. F- it sounds so fucking shit when I say it, but like you can <laughs> feel the history. That sounds so awful. But like you stand in like a point and you imagine like all the people that have stood in this place before, what mm. has happened in this location. So it was really interesting for me to like stand in a point where a woman has been killed by jack the ripper Mm. and it's now it's just a parking space for example it's a door it's an alleyway people walk up and down it nowadays without even thinking and yet you stand there and you really consider what happened in this little location and i I just think that's absolutely i think that's so fascinating the fact that like things change over time but in this specific spot something happened that is now written into british history forever yeah no i think you've you've got it you've absolutely nailed it there like forever that that uh, that area that moment that that space will be synonymous with what event happened there and life will go on things will change a road will be built a house will be built someone will propose to a partner on that piece of pavement and yet for all of eternity in human history that event will have happened there too it's, it's, it's wild. It's, it's incredible. I love, the, I love the feeling of that. I think I mentioned it to you throughout the day like, so many times as we were walking. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like, Just imagine all the people that have walked here and seen this. And, and now like the, one of the murder sites is now literally a parking spot for someone's house. Mm. And they, yeah. do, do they know what happened there? Maybe, maybe not. There's no sign. Mm. No, there is not. Um, I really enjoyed getting the opportunity to uh, throw some suspects at Terry and see he, just his yeah. reaction to some of them where uh, some some of them he just blatantly would just laugh at us and be like, yeah. what are you on about? <laughs> I remember um, years back when we worked with Terry, um, I was sat with him once and I just like, I questioned him. I was like, so who do you think it was? And he just laughed at me and went, this is for another time. So I'm really glad that like four years later, that yeah, time finally, finally happened. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, no, it was fantastic. It was really good to get Terry on board. Uh, it took a lot of time and effort uh, to put this together. So I hope you enjoy it, guys. Um, and yeah, we will uh, we'll see you at the end of it. So we are joined today uh, by a good friend of ours, a resident ripperologist. We have Mr. Terry Wade. Hello, Terry Wade. Hi. Hello. How are you? <laughs> yes, good. Thank you. Uh, we're also obviously, we have James K with us. I'm always here. Um, for you guys watching as well, uh, this is the first time you've seen us on camera uh, doing this properly. This is almost like a proper podcast. It's like a face reveal. Yeah, almost, yeah. Um, so, uh, let's just get straight down to brass tacks, shall we? Uh, we are here to talk about Jack the Ripper, uh, which is why, Terry, we've got you in today as our resident ripperologist, as our expert. Um, so, I kind of just wanted to start with... Um, how you got into sort of ripperology what is it about the the case the ripper case that got you into it i suppose when i started work at uh tooley street in the dungeon mm. 
they had a ripper section there, Jack the Ripper section there. Um, and I realized then I'd have to be talking to guests about these murders. And because it's an historical case, I didn't want to be feeding them a load of nonsense. Mm. So I started to um, buy books and gen up on the case so I got the names and dates right. And it sort of snowballed from there, really. Mm. But you could take it back further. My, my nan, that's uh, my, my dad's mum, she was a little girl at the time of the murders. And that which, which means my great-grand, her mum, used to say to her, if she was a bad girl, if you don't go to bed early tonight, Jack the Ripper's going to come and get you. <laughs> that was the threat at the time. And I sort of remember that, even though I was only a kid. So, but up until that point, up until when I started at Tooley Street, it was just, I just knew he was someone who used to murder women um, brutally and he was never caught. That was my, some knowledge, that was it. Mm. But then I sort of jammed up and bought more books on it. Um, yeah, and that snowballed from there, basically. Mm. And so what was it about the case sort of that gripped you? Because like, uh, full disclosure, we've all worked at the same place. We, that's how, we, how we all know, know each other. other. Yeah. Uh, we all worked at the, the infamous London Dungeon. We've mentioned it many times on the show. <laughs> um, so so, and we, so we've talked about loads of different people that have done horrific things in history. So what was it about sort of this case that really got you to the point of like, I need to really look into this and this is something that grips me? So as it was, is the fact that Jack the Ripper was never caught. Mm. And also there were so many theories on who he could be, so many suspects, that I just wanted to read up on a few, just make my own mind up. But of course, you, the more you read on this case, the more theories you get, the more suspects you get. And it just became it just became fascinating, mm. and that that was really it. I just carried on and on, and then I wanted to sort of walk around the areas where he where he committed the murders, and um, and that's that's where it took me basically. That's where it took me up to the point today where I am today with it. <laughs> um, so I suppose before we get into like maybe like the, the, the timeline of events, I was hoping you would be able to explain to us and those watching and listening what kind of a world that we're going to be entering what's the east end like at this time and and we sort of, we did a little tour with you earlier we did your yeah. entire tour in fact um and so we've gone over quite a lot and we've seen a lot of the places we've seen a lot of the buildings in their original state and what they look like um so w what was the east end like for people living around that area what would it be like to walk around there very grim um where the murders took place as i said earlier it was only within a one square mile uh, it wasn't the old of the East End, which was dilapidated. I mean, there was loads of families in the East End, which were you know, middle class, had pretty good jobs. It was just that one area, Whitechapel, uh, Whitechapel High Street, Commercial Road. That's one square mile, which was, um, as the writer Jack London is an American writer, he came to the East End, I think it was about 1903, and he wrote a book called The People of the Abyss. And he actually spent time in Dos Houses and stuff to see what it was like living there then. Um, yeah, it was terrible because it, the poverty rate was, was awful. Um, people didn't have houses as such. People live in DOS houses. Um, hygiene was almost non-existent, to mm. be honest. So yeah, th th that, that place, basically it stank. Um, people on their, on their uppers didn't have no money or very, very little money. And they were viewed as basically the lowest of the lowest class, which, you know, it wasn't their fault. It was their, the circumstances that brought them there. Mm. Yeah. 
And we, we when we were on a tour earlier, we come up with a couple of suggestions as, you know, people walking around with blood on them. And you said that that would not be uncommon, you know. No, because you had loads of slaughterhouses around there and like factories like tanneries and places like that where, they, you know, they ripped the eyes of the cows and God, goodness knows what. And, um, yeah, so people would be walking around with bloody aprons, maybe blood on their hands. So you could fairly well come and go without raising too many eyebrows if you had blood on you. Mm. You know, mm. admittedly, if you was walking down the street and you was completely well dressed and you were smeared with blood, it might look a bit suspicious. But at the end of the day, to walk around the streets of Whitechapel then with blood on you, it wouldn't be that big a deal. Mm. As I mean, if you saw someone walking down the street today and had blood on their hands and blood on the shirt, you go, you look, you know, what? You do a double take. Yeah. Know? But not then. It wouldn't be that, that uncommon, really. I think the thing that struck me as well to sort of paint a, a visual picture for the, the viewers is if you imagine like quaint London streets now with these cobbled stones and, and the red brick houses, to us now it's quite quirky. I think we mentioned it earlier, like it's quite quirky. You pay half a million quid to, to live there. Whereas as you mentioned back in the day, there's the same architecture, the same brickwork, but if you ended up there, you were pretty down on your luck. I find it fascinating how things over what, 100 odd years have changed so drastically. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Brit, Brit Lane, where we were, I'm sure Brit Lane's quite a familiar place with many people. It's it's so upmarket and well to do, and yet a stone's throw is yeah. where well the murders happened. Yeah, as I said earlier, Dorset Street, where Mary Kelly, the the last of the Conical Five victims, was murdered. Dorset Street was basically known as the most violent street in London, or something along those lines. Policemen would go down there unless they was in twos and threes. Mm. It was that bad. Mm. And it was known as Doss's Street as well, because that's where all the Doss houses were. Yeah, it's quite nice now. I quite liked yeah. it around there. <laughs> we have a, it, it, we've been very lucky today. Today's been a very sunny day and we've had very good weather. And yeah. it's actually been quite nice yeah. walking around what were once described as, you know, the most dangerous streets in London. Yeah, I felt very safe. Yeah. Um, so what we've got is the, the world that we're living in is, is, is a sort of a depressing, dank, horrible, smelly, just very yeah. underfunded place yeah, that has almost been forgotten about. Yeah, it's somewhere that you wouldn't go on your own volition, you know what I mean? Mm. And is it maybe somewhere that you wouldn't go unless you, you, you're a local, like unless you were born and bred there, you probably wouldn't want to wander no, down you, there. No, you wouldn't go there. Um, even the locals that lived there didn't really want to be there. Mm. It was a, it, the circumstances they found themselves in. So the only time you would have gone to that particular area um is if you were doing what's, what was known back in the days as slumming. Slumming basically was the upper classes from the west of London, West End. They would, some of them would dress up in old rags and they'd go down Whitechapel just to look at people, to gulp. And it was known as slumming. That's a bizarre way of getting entertainment, isn't it? It is really, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's the same with you know, people going to, um, say, Bedlam, the hospital Bedlam, yeah. where, the, where yeah. the unfortunates, unfortunate lunatics were. You'd pay a couple of pennies or whatever. And, and gulp at the, the lunatics. Yeah. I yeah. had stories that places like that, you you could just, um, yeah, you pay a couple of pence and just stare at them all day. Yeah. And that was their entertainment in like Georgian eras and whatnot. Well, you said that in um, in Tudor times, the court jesters generally were people with Down syndrome. Oh, really? Yeah. They just use any sort of disability as enjoyment. Yeah. Right. Which to today's standards is obviously horrific. Yeah, but, but even today we look at those that are more unfortunate than us and we put them on reality TV. Oh, exactly. Yeah, like embarrassing bodies and all sorts. It's yeah. it's still the rage. Um, right, so then let's let's 
I suppose, get into the timeline of events. And what we are, for the most part, going to do today is we're going to cover the canonical five. Yeah. Um, the ones that um, everyone thinks of and assumes when we talk about Jack the Ripper. So if we could, um, let's go from the first victim, mm-hmm. uh, Marianne Nichols, who was killed on Friday the 31st of August, 1888. That's correct. So I was hoping maybe now from there you could take us on her journey, maybe her last moments and whatnot. What, 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 what do we see? What, do we, what happens? Basically, we, we, we can pick up the story where we see her leaving the um, frying pan public house, which is near Thrall Street which is still there, Frawl Street's still there. That's where she had her DOS house. She was seen leaving there drunk. Well, we know she she came out there drunk. Um, she went to her DOS house in Frawl Street. <clears throat> Unfortunately, she didn't have the money for, for her DOS. So um, the landlord basically kicked her out, saying, you know, you can't come in without your DOS money. So she's gone off to look for it. And one of the last things she said to the, land, the landlord was, see what a jolly bonnet I have on. She had a new bonnet. She said, I'll get my DOS money. And off she went. Uh, the next sighting we have of her is around about 2.30 in the morning down Osborne Street. A lady called uh, Emily Holland saw her. I think some books call her Emily Doral or something like that. But I know her as Emily Holland. She was a friend. And she said that um, Mary Ann was very drunk, staggering. And she tried to persuade her to come back with her. And she, she said, no, I've had my DOS money. Three times, I'm off to get it again. And so she lurched off into the night, or early hours of the morning. And the next we hear of her is when she's found at Bucks Row. Mm. That's uh, about 3.45 in the morning. Mm. So how is she found? Who discovers her? It was a gentleman by the name of Charles Cross, uh, Aka Lechmere, who was a carman. So he worked, I think he worked at a company called Pickford's, which was like a removal company. Um, he was on his way to work. He saw in the gateway, Brown's stables, it was a stables for horses, uh, what he thought was some tarpaulin. And he thought that could be uh, useful for my work. So he's gone over and had a look. And you got to remember, it's very dark. It's a pretty dark street, not much light. And he's noticed that it is a woman, but he's not sure if she's dead, drunk or whatever. Very soon after that, he hears footsteps. And they're the footsteps of a man called Robert Paul. Now, Robert Paul's also a carman, different company, and he was on his way to work, so he's called him over. He said, hey, mate, look, I found a woman. I don't know if she's dead or drunk or what. So they've both gone over to the body, they've examined her, and because it's so dark, they can't really see what's happened. So Robert Paul, because um, Marianne's dresses were up, up over her knees, they, they decided to pull her dresses down to make her look more dignified. And then Robert Paul said, shall we prop her up against the stable door? And Charles Cross just said, no, let's go, carry on going to work. We'll be late. As soon as we find a policeman, we'll uh, alert him to what's going on. And that was that. And so they staggered off into the, into the morning. Very, very soon after, so a couple of minutes or so, um, a policeman, John Neal, PC John Neal, that was his beat. He come past there and he's seen Mary Ann Nichols on the floor. But he's got a lantern which the lads didn't have. So as soon as he shone that onto the body, he's noticed foul play because there's blood around her neck. And that's when he calls for assistance. And he was assisted by a, a policeman called uh, PC Fane, who was parading down Brady Street. 
And when the lads went off, they did find a policeman called PC Joseph Mitson. Then he's come along. Then they decide to get a doctor, who was Dr. Joseph, um, Dr. Llewellyn. Doctors come along and pronounce life extinct. She was then basically promptly stuck on an ambulance, which I showed you a picture of that before, mm. like, a, like a hand cart, and carted off to the local mortuary. But it wasn't until she was in the mortuary under better lighting and she was stripped that they realised the, the uh, severity of her mutilations, her throat being cut from left to right down to the spine. And she had been, well, cut open basically, disemboweled. She had around about, including the, including the two knife wounds on her neck, she had about nine wounds. And the, the, the one to her sternum, wherever the case was, the, that was the deepest one. Mm. That's the one disemboweled her. <laughs> it's, I mean, with with our listeners, of course, are no strangers to me describing how in depth something. No, it's your can speciality. Be. Yeah, it seems to be my speciality. Um, one thing we've, I've always tried to defend is such, and there are other shows and podcasts that try not when they do with tra- true crime, they try to shy away from the brutality of some things mm. in an attempt to try and, in their own way, honor the victim. Um, we kind of have a, a difference of opinion with that and we think that you know to to deny that part of their story is to sort of deny them that honor in a way so to, to tell it in truth as it happened so um yeah thank you for going into detail um you mentioned these dos houses and she was looking for dos money and you you, you mentioned uh earlier how dank and horrible these places were yes um and how much they cost so mm. she's how much did she think she was looking for to stay in one of these for the night? It'd be about fourpence for a single bed, mm-hmm. eightpence for a double. A double is just basically a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger bed with, it'd be partitioned off like, I don't know how to explain, like balls like that. Um, so you'd have a smidgen of privacy mm. if you wanted to take your partner back, your husband or you know, a man off the street. Mm. But now if she'd be looking for like a single bed, which would be fourpence, mm-hmm. but she didn't have any money at all. Yeah. And so she's out looking for another another job. Yeah. Make some bit of money. And it might give her a room for the night. Yeah, and we must I must stress this that she was out looking for money doesn't necessarily mean she was out looking for a client. Mm-hmm. She could have maybe found some a job charring in another dust house with like cleaning rooms or something. People immediately think, oh she went out as early hours of the morning. There's only one uh, thing she could have on her mind. She was going to sell a body, mm. not necessarily. Mm. I can see, I can quite see why people jump to that conclusion, you know, because these poor ladies have this reputation of being unfortunate, you know. So you can see, see it from, the, especially from the perspective of Victorians, because if you was a woman on the streets, you didn't have an husband, you didn't have a, a steady job or whatever, you'd frown on it. Oh no, well, she should she should have a fella like you know, so. You was doomed to, to begin with. Your mm. reputation was down the drain to, to begin with, really, you know? Yeah, of course, you, you mentioned earlier in our tour that you shy away from the word prostitute when referring to yeah. these canonical five because there's no proof that all of them were. No. They weren't sex workers, all of them. They are, as you put them, unfortunates. They yeah. just happened to have been unfortunate to have met him. Yeah, in the wrong place at the wrong, wrong time. I think that is quite important to say as well because I didn't know this. I came into today fairly blind about Jack the Ripper, sort of the basics of who he was, what happened. And I, I always assumed that all five of them were 
sex workers mm. and i always assumed the stories as well was that they he had taken like they were client he was a client of theirs is what i would believe so mm. it's quite opening to realize that well, i think what you said earlier two were registered yeah least. that we know of two, two we know as um lizzie stride she was actually registered in sweden mm. as an unfortunate and Mary Kelly basically said, yeah, that's what I do. That's basically why her boyfriend left her. Yeah. Because she started inviting other unfortunates into their room. Mm. And he said, I can't have this. Imagine a small room, 12 foot by 12 foot, or thereabouts. And you have Joseph Barnett, Mary Kelly, and some other woman there. Having, obviously, having to share the same bed, all three of them. He went, nah. So he left. Yeah. They left on good terms. He still went and visited. When he had money, he still went and gave them money. Mm. So it was an amicable sort of split. Mm. Um, now, going back to our first victim, um, Marianne Nichols, uh, this is something that will come up a few more times as we go along. This is a populated area. This is not a quiet, empty alleyway. Like People live here, um, yeah. and you were saying that people literally live next door to where she was murdered and opposite. Yeah. And there's no reason why anyone, if they'd just sort of opened their curtain, they'd have just seen it. Yeah, especially the especially the um, the Perkis family lived right opposite. I mean, literally overlooking the site, and the windows were there. If literally, had to pull the curtain back, they would see it going on. And yet, no one saw. No, no one saw. Or heard I, think, I think Mrs. Perkis, if my memory serves me right, I think Mrs. Perkis was an insomniac. I mean, she slept all night. Mm. Yeah, that happened right on their doorstep. Mm. Um. So let's go to the, then our second victim. So Annie Chapman. Mm-hmm. Annie Chapman is murdered on Saturday the 8th of September, 1888. Yes. So just over a week after. Yeah. That's quick. Very quick. It's it's really quick. I do find the serial killers we've covered before, as we mentioned earlier, you, you get months in between, sometimes, sometimes years. Mm. It, it's very rare that they'll... This is one thing that's going to come up through again and again. I think Jack the Ripper's very blasé with what... He did, they did. We'll get onto theories. Um, because it is all close together. I assume, obviously, the policing wasn't as good then as it is now. Um, but to do it so close together when people are on high alert. I'll just correct you there. I wouldn't say the policing wasn't as good because those poor chaps had so much to deal with. Mm. Um, it'd be more fair to say that the police at the time didn't have the equipment that we have today. That's fair. Yeah. Those, mm. those, those chaps have literally run off their feet. Especially when the murders progressed, people were sending in literally hundreds and hundreds of letters, mm. all of which had to be followed up, all of which took a lot of police time and energy. You know, there's no CCTVs that could rely on. Um, they, one blood group from one blood group didn't exist. It could be pig's blood, it could be human blood. They just didn't have all that to rely on. Mm. If you think of the police now, yeah, dealing with um, murder cases, some of them have an awful hard time of tracking a killer down and they've got all that to, to, to back them up back in the day they didn't no that is fair it's yeah. a, a hair can undo you nowadays can't it yeah mm-hmm. and of course the people the general public thought oh this killer's on the loose and they were blaming the police for not catching him mm. so they had that coming in as well they didn't yeah. have any real support they had the work cut out they really did so um, Annie Chapman mm-hmm. let's talk about Annie Chapman so how's Annie Chapman found what happens there she was found in the early hours. Um, there's, there's some some dispute about what time she was found, but it's basically assumed it's about quarter to six by John Davis, who was coming down from... He lived in uh, in 29 Ambrose Street. I think it was second floor. 
and he was coming down to go to work to make a cup of tea and he went out to the backyard because they had an outdoor privy, outdoor toilet. So he's going out there to use that and he's opened the, uh, the door to the backyard and he's found the body and he's gone running off for help. Um, he's found two fellas, uh, James Green and James Kent, who work nearby. They've had a look. They didn't go down. They didn't sort of go into the into the yard or anything. And then very soon after, a policeman was on the scene, PC uh, Chandler, uh, Chandler. And um, before you knew it, that street was awash with people, mm. which had to be cleared. You know, I think there was like by the end, by the time I think by the time the body was removed, there were like hundreds of people down Ambury Street. And you saw how small that place is. Mm. It was awash with people. Yeah. Yeah, we we did go to see it, and 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 we saw it as it is now, mm. and it's a tight, narrow road. It's just one way for all cars. Yeah, and well, as we were standing there, and you were telling us about it, lots of people trying to walk past us, and it's it was. It was I imagine it's it? built for yeah. horses and carriages, wasn't it? I had no intention yeah. of cars. We weren't even thinking about yeah. that by then. No, mm. no, no. And again, with this one, no one. This is this is a residential area. People live here, and and you you were saying there's there's a back alley. And back there are people's outhouses where they go to the loo at night. Yeah. And yet, the Ripper seems to be totally comfortable to do what yeah. he needs to do here and there. Well, 29 Ambry Street, the backyard in which this took place, as I said, I think you had like 17 families living there alone. That's without people on either side. Yeah? Mm. 17 families. And around about the time she was murdered, well, that was very early in the morning, early hours, say, half past five, quarter six, should we say, um... You still get people getting up really early to go to the work in the markets and stuff. I think one guy that worked in, uh, so I lived in 29, he used to get up for work like four o'clock in the morning. So it wasn't as if he was thinking, don't mind, they'll all be asleep, we'll all be in bed and we'll get up to eight o'clock. It wasn't like that. He was, he was taking a bit of a risk, to be honest. Mm. But he did. And he got away with it. But you mentioned when we were there earlier, this is when there was sort of a sighting of him or sort of a believed sighting of him chatting to her before the murder. Yeah, she uh, um, apparently he was spotted talking to Annie Chapman by a, a lady called Elizabeth Long, and she was walking down Ambury Street. Unfortunately, this chap's back was towards her. Yeah, he saw she saw Liz, um, Annie Chapman. That's how she identified her. That was the woman, but she couldn't give a real description of the man. Only that she he was a bit taller, and that he had um, a foreign appearance. I'm not quite sure how she knew she, she had a foreign appearance if he didn't see her. Yeah, how do you work that one out? Mm. This is it. But she did hear him say, will you? And Annie said, yes. Mm. So maybe she got the foreign appearance bit by maybe the way he sounded. Maybe mm. he sounded foreign. So maybe that's why he said foreign appearance. Mm. Mm. Okay. Um, now, at that point, we still don't know a name. Jack the Ripper, he doesn't. No, he's still not come up yet. No, no, he's known as the Red Terror, Bloody Knife, uh, Whitechapel Fiend, Whitechapel Murderer, obviously. Mm. But yeah, the name doesn't um, appear until September, 28th of September, when a letter arrives at the Central News Agency and it's signed Jack the Ripper. And what does that say? Um, it was the Dear Boss letter, the famous yeah. Dear Boss letter. Can't remember word for word verbatim, but it's mm. saying, um, one of, the, one of the lines was, um, the next woman that I kill, next one I do, I'll clip the lady's ears off just for jolly, wouldn't you? And send them to the police. And But it was signed Jack the Ripper. Mm. And that, that, that name stuck. Interesting. Mm. Do, do, do you think 
the Dear Boss letter is from him? Or do you no. think it maybe was a hoax? Definitely a hoax. Yeah. Written by an enterprising journalist. Without a doubt, I've got no doubts about that. Oh, you think someone wanted to sell papers? Just yeah. wanted to know. The Star, the Star newspaper, mm. which is owned by T.P. O'Connor, who was oh, a yeah. politician. Um, there was a chap that used to work for that paper called uh, Best. His mm. name was Best. Fred Best. Not not to be confused with Fred West. <laughs> um, and he worked for the newspaper. So it was within easy interest and the newspaper's interest to keep this story bubbling over. Mm. And what better name? What better way to give this killer a name? Mm. Jack the Ripper. It sort of stuck. Yeah. And it, it, well, it makes sense. Any old Jack. Jack the Lad. Yeah. Jack is just a generic yeah, name. Yeah. And not only that, Jack, you, you had uh, Spring Hill Jack. Yeah, of course. Spring Hill yeah. Jack. So it, it catches the public imagination. Jack. Mm. Mm. Jack Tar. Jack the Lad. You know. Yeah. And what does he do? He rips people. Rips. Mm. That's Jack the Ripper. He rips. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, funny enough, of course, um, mentioned in this faux letter that he will kill again soon. Yeah. And of course he does. Yeah. Uh, which maybe was tempting fate, right? But on the 30th of September, mm-hmm. Elizabeth Stride is found dead. Yeah. How is she found? So t- tell us sort of how that happened what, what, where was she found what, what's gone on there she was found in a place called Dutfield Yard um, which is next door to it was next door to a club working lads or working men's institute it was basically a club where socialists and the Jews of the area would all meet and they'd discuss politics and sing sort of revolutionary songs and debate and fight and yeah it was just a club and uh, her body was found in the entrance going in towards the club no, so you had the front door of the club. Next door was like this um, cobbled lane where you could like, park a horse down. And at the end was a printer's works because this club also had their own paper. They printed their own paper called um, Arbeitsfreund, which is German for worker's friend. And uh, the chap that ran the club, Louis Deemschutz, was pulling his horse and car into this like yard when he's all shied to the left. And he's noticed down to his, his right there was some sort of bundle it's very dark so he couldn't work out what it was so he's got his uh, riding crop and he's poked it got no response he's gone into the club to get some people out which they came out with uh, candles then they realised it was a woman and her throat was cut and it was still bleeding so she'd literally just been murdered and the blood was running down the gutter mm. and of course they, they raised a hue and cry and the police eventually arrived the doctors arrived but she did, I say only, she only had her throat cut. There was no other, no other mutilations to, to Lizzie, which leads people to believe that when Louis Deemstrips pulled his awesome car into the yard, he's disturbed the killer easier than in the shadows. He's waiting for Louis to go into the club. Then he's legged it. He's gone. He'll run off to mm. kill again that night. Mm. You don't believe... Well, your theory is that this isn't a, a victim, do you? No. Um, so... If we could then, because this one's quite interesting, this is the one that is debated amongst most of the five to whether she is or isn't actually one of Jack's Yeah, there's loads, of, loads of people sit on the fence on this one, yeah. So let's, could we talk about quickly who is Elizabeth Stryer? A, a, a very brief sort of background to her and why we maybe think that she could not be one of his victims. Uh, Elizabeth Stryer, she was, not, this is not really relevant, but she was Swedish. Uh, she came to Sweden, uh, she came from Sweden to London. 
Um, answering that question, well, number one, we know a throat is cut, but there's no mutilation. So that's that's one. I suppose that's the biggie. Uh, number two, it's suggested by the doctors that the knife used to cut her throat was a different knife altogether that uh, dispatched the other ladies. And as I said before, it's not to say that Jack didn't carry more than one knife. He could have done. But that's another thing. Also, she was involved with a man uh, called Michael Kidney, um, her long-time sort of partner. And it was known they had a very um, turbulent relationship, always fighting, always at each other's throats and stuff. So a lot of people think it could have been a domestic between them two. Mm. And he's done the, He's done it. He's thought, oh, God, he's run off. Mm. Um, we we find with quite a lot of cases that we've sort of covered and whatnot, and just in general true crime where it goes, majority of the time it is a partner. It's some or someone mm. who knows the victim. Mm. They're always related to some sort. Yeah. Um, okay. So that 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 I remember doing your tour once before, and when you told us that, I was like, no, that's for me. It just doesn't match up, and I wonder whether. Trying, I wonder whether saying, "Oh, it may, maybe he did have another knife, or uh, maybe he was disturbed." I, I wonder whether that's us trying to make it fit. You, you were saying yourself, you can make anyone fit. Yeah, okay, and yeah, I suppose yeah. you could do it with some of the victims. You know, you'd be like, "Well, it kind of fits, so maybe we'll put them in there." Yeah, um, and we'll come on a little bit later if there's more than the canonical five. Um, but yeah, uh, that that for me was like a I I'm not sure. But then I think what happens next that evening for me lends itself to think that maybe it was and he got disturbed yes so this is what is infamously known as the night of the double event yes so we now come to Catherine Eddowes Mm -hmm. who on the same night is murdered how soon after well Louis Deemshus discovered Lizzie's body at one o'clock so assuming that she was murdered by Jack so he couldn't have long left that sort of area Burner Street if she's only just been murdered. And Catherine was found 45 minutes later in Mitre Square. So he'd have to get from Burner Street to Mitre Square, do the deed. He's got 45 minutes to do it in, which is doable. Mm, we walked doable. it earlier um, using the main roads and it took us, what, 20 minutes, I'd say? 20 minutes, yeah. He, yeah. he yeah. could have had an e- more easy access to get there. And he probably might have been at a trot. He might have been walking pretty quick, if not at a trot. Mm. So he could have done it quite easy, time-wise. It's, it's doable, it's possible, yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, because you, you mentioned earlier that we're walking around a square mile. It's not that big an area. No. But it, you was like, it's going to feel like we're walking quite a long time because we don't have the access that they would have had at that time. I A lot of back alleys, a lot of streets that just don't exist anymore. Yeah. We're having to walk down main roads and whatnot. And, it, you know, it takes some time. It, mm. Your tour takes a little while to do. Um, Jack could easily do this in... 10 minutes maybe run from one area to another quite possibly yeah mm. there was there was an instance where um there was street a couple of streets and what the police did was is they checked the streets they made sure they were empty they were empty yeah the police said the, these streets were empty and they called and made a cordon loads of police were all around so no one could get in absolutely solid time this was an experiment and all of a sudden, all these people started appearing out of this street where they'd just been and searched. Was like, how did you get in there? Mm. <laughs> they know all the back alleys. They, you know, and that's right under their noses. 
Um, okay, so Catherine Eddowes, where is she found? She was found in Mitre Square, which is not Whitechapel. It's in the city of London. Mm. So it's on the outskirts. So technically speaking, she's not a Whitechapel victim. She's a victim of the Whitechapel murderer. That's mm. why we say you know, five canonical victims. But she was found in the city. Mm. So she's actually murdered outside of what is the traditional killing ground of this person. Yeah. Um, and how is Catherine Eddowes found? What sort of state is she in? Um, poorly. She was found by PC Edward Watkins, who was on his beat. He'd done his beat about five minutes previous uh, of the square, found nothing. And at 1.45, he's back there again, shone his light, and he's seen her. And she's... Um, what, what Jack's done with Catherine is he's uh, slit her throat like the other girls, cut her open like the other girls, and he's taken the uterus, which he did with Annie Chapman. He's also removed a kidney. But now he's gone a stage further, and he's made a target for the face. He's cut the nose off. He's gashed the face all the way down at the side of a cheek. Um, when I got to the mortuary, a part of her ear fell off. So obviously a knife had cut through the ear. A bit of her ear fell off in the mortuary. Which is why a lot of people think the Dear Boss letter was real because it says, um, I shall slice the, the lady's ears off just for jolly. Mm. I think that was just pure luck that he put that down. Mm. He didn't cut the ears off. But he nicked it. He nicked it and nicked a bit, a bit the earlobe. Mm. You think about it, if Jack really wanted to do that, if he really wanted to keep his promise, he's managed to do all these other mutilations, it would have taken him probably seconds to go and cut the ear off. Mm. You know? Okay. So that was our fourth victim. We now have a name as well. We know that this person goes by Jack the Ripper. Yeah. That seems to be the name that's going around at this point as well. Yeah. Um, I know you mentioned that not all of these women are sex workers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why you like to use the term unfortunates. Um, but in terms of uh, sex workers, female sex workers at the time, how easy would it to be to procure, procure one of these ladies for the night? Are they just wandering around? Can you just, you know, speak yeah. to them generally like or is it like you know you're walking around if you see them at a certain time it's pretty much a given that they might be you'd have a pretty good chance put that you'd have a pretty good chance because these girls are out looking looking for clients needed the money so you wouldn't have to go far mm. I mean even today I believe in I don't know what the actual red light districts are these days in fact I think Whitechapel still is to a point but I don't know what the the big red light district would be in today's term but I'm sure if you went down to a known red light district, you wouldn't take too long for you to pick someone up. So no, it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't. Don't have been that hard to do that. Mm. And they would have known where to take the client and lead them on. Yeah. Well, that was something that um, sort of shocked us earlier. Um, that where you said it's it's more likely that it's not that Jack knows where to go. That's the best place to do his killings. Is the the ladies are taking him to where they know is a, a, secure, a secluded, quiet place yeah. to do their business. Yeah. And he's just abusing that opportunity. Yeah. And that's the bit that, yeah, that shocked us all, wasn't it? Is that they're almost, they're leading him to their own death. Yeah. Quite, very, very possible. Mm. Now, this one, it, 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 just under a, well, just over a month after, 
So there's a bit of a cooling off period. So, you know, our first victim, Marianne Nichols, that's the end of August. Um, we've got then three in September. Um, and our last one takes place on Friday the 9th of November. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that I suppose everyone is very, very aware of, uh, MJK, Mary Jane Kelly. Yes. I'm wondering what's maybe happened in that month off. Just over the month, as because it's like we we were having a walk around, and I said most serial killers have this like frenzied mode, mm. you know, where they absolutely go ham and do what they like and go crazy, and then kind of generally they get caught after that point. But he's almost done. He's done like four killings in very quick succession, has almost a month off, mm. and then we come to the ninth of November where we come to Mary Jane Kelly's apartment. So where is Mary Jane Kelly's apartment and what do we find if we was to go in it? How, how does that happen? Um, it was a very small room, uh, twelve feet, basically 12 feet by 12 more or less. So it's a very small room. It's in Dorset Street, so it was in, in the Whitechapel area. As far as um, the time goes, it could have been, a theory, it could have been that by now he's got the Metropolitan Police on his tail He's also got the City of London police after him, so he's being emmed in both ways. He knows he's really marked. So it could be he literally just thought, cool down, take some time off, let it rest. And then he's realised maybe best time, best thing to do next, instead of doing another one outdoors, got to find someone a bit more secluded. And he's come across Mary Jane, realising she's got her own room. That's the one. It could be, that could be the, the the space in between. So all these killings also, if you notice on your timeline, so to speak, they all took place either on bank holidays or weekends. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. That is interesting. Which would suggest, could suggest, that this person had a regular day job. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And, then, and so what do we find inside Mary Jane Kelly's apartment what state is she in it's like an abattoir she's absolutely disseminated there's nothing left of her it's just a carcass mm. she's got basically her face has been cut off literally um, she's been eviscerated all her organs have been taken out you've got flesh on the bedside table there's blood everywhere um, it's been suggested that when the killer struck because of the amount of blood that was near the wall where her neck was the killers grabbed hold of a sheet and pushed it over her face and then he's cut her throat. It's like he didn't want to see her face. He's cut her throat. And then he's dragged the body over towards him because he, he couldn't get to that side of the bed because the wall was there mm. unless he pulled the bed out. So he's had to pull the body towards him to then start his work cutting her up. Mm. But yeah, it was an absolute mess. Mm. We saw the picture earlier and it was pretty harrowing. Um for anyone listening, I don't think we're going to be able to put the picture on the video because all the uploading sites will take that video down pretty quickly. I mean, it'll be on our Patreon. Oh, we'll, we'll see if what we can do. But if, <laughs> if we can't, Google it, I think, at your own risk. Yeah, you can Google it, you'll find it. Yeah, it was, it's, it's quite pretty, a famous picture now. Yeah, it was, it was pretty harrowing. It is. Um, it's not a person. Like you, could, you can make out sort of the figure of a person, but it just doesn't look like a person. Yeah. Was, well, as, as you said, Terry, earlier that, her thighs are just been stripped just completely stripped. stripped to the bone yeah it's just flesh and open stuff and and you know, she said pile of flesh 
on her bedside cabinet where he's just hacking away and just leaving it to the side so he can carry on. Yeah. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Um, and uh, do we think so this is by far the most brutal of them all God, yeah, yeah. do we think that it's the, it's the fact that he's got that privacy he has time James you mentioned it earlier this is his magnum, magnus opus mm. do you think he may have done this to other people had he been given the time or has he been leading up to this do we think maybe like he's, he, well he's murders not not including Lizzie Stride mm. you'll notice these murders are getting more and more vicious um, had Mary Jane been outdoors she might have been murdered in much the same way as Catherine Eddowes maybe a bit worse maybe mm. but because he's indoors he's he's as happy as Larry he's got the door shut he's got all the time in the world yeah he's able to just completely yeah. live out his fantasy yeah totally utterly and there's no suggestion that this is in any way sort of a sexual thing for him. That he's getting any was, maybe sexual gratification out of it. There's no well, sexual assault to these ladies at all that we know of. It's just physical, there, brutal there, attacking. Well, there was no, according to autopsy reports, there was no sexual contact. That does not necessarily mean there was no sexual gratification. He may have got his gratification by killing mm. and like removing things like the uterus. Yes, yeah. yeah. There was one, oh, I can't remember his name now. There was one um, guy, I think he might have been in Germany, someone will correct me. And he got his kicks, his sexual kicks, by breaking into people's houses. He'd open a window up, and as soon as he walked in, climbed into the room, he would orgasm. <laughs> that would be, be his kicks, walking into, uh, climbing into a window. Mm. That's how he got his, his kicks. Mm. So Jack might have got his kicks just by taking his bits out and stabbing that sort of area might mm. be his, his way of getting his gratification but there was no obvious sexual connection yeah. should we say you know mm. that's so obviously he's ripping these women open mm. and tearing them apart is he taking any trophies is he keeping yeah. stuff what's he taking well from from um first victim marianne nichols nothing then you had annie annie chapman he took a uterus and two two thirds of her bladder was missing and part of her vagina apparently um then you have lizzie stride which we know she only had a throat cut so nothing there um then we have Catherine, and she had her uterus was removed and also a kidney and with poor mary jane everything was removed it was found in various parts of the room or on the bed or whatever but the heart was absent 
Mm. They never found the heart. They don't know whether or not he took it out and threw it into the fire because that little grate there that got rid of it that way. If it'd been done, if, if it happened today, I'm sure forensics could have gone through the grate and the ashes and found something. Mm -hmm. Didn't have anything, anything like that then. Yeah. Um, but the heart was absent. It wasn't. It wasn't found apparently, mm. which leads some people to believe that she was murdered by a boyfriend, Joe Barnett, because it might have been his way of saying. You're, you're you're on the game you're you know you're taking in other men i can't take this anymore i'm jealous he's gone into a jealous rage he's killed her maybe that's why he's put a blanket over her because he didn't want to see her face and the one thing he takes is her heart because it would always belong to him yeah oh it's very poetic it's a, it's a good motive but it's horrible <laughs> it's yeah. very poetic um but then that the thing that the, the through line to all these murders is there's a belief that the killer had knowledge of the human body and sort of the innards to remove these things but there was a dispute wasn't there between doctors yeah about some, this some doctors said he had anatomical knowledge and some said he may have been able to cut up a pig maybe but no 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 anatomical knowledge as such but and these are coming from two different doctors you know mm. so who do you believe it's like you know it's like you going to a dentist and one dentist says oh those teeth are gonna to have to come out and another dentist says well no to cut the fillings will do who do you believe? The yeah. both dentists. Mm. Yeah. But I forget, oh, sorry, I forget which victim it was that he removed the kidneys but went in through the front, which is quite abnormal. Yes, Catherine Eddowes. Mm. Yeah. So he must have known what he was looking for. It could, yeah. A lot of people think that. But it could have also, it could have been, could have been just pure luck. Yeah. I mean, that's very improbable. Very improbable. Not, not impossible, improbable. Because mm. to get to the kidney via the front, there's a membrane you have to go through. He's working in darkness, but he's managed to take it. Yeah. He's grabbed it. Almost and, like a, just a child playing with their food. A little bit, I guess. You know, yeah. Just sort of just. There's no plan here. It's just grabbing what you can, maybe. And yeah. I don't know. Could, I haven't got that yet, so I'll have that instead. Yeah. It could easily just be that quick trophy tape. Grab that. What's in here? I'll have that. Hmm. Could be. Then again, it could be someone who knows what they're doing in the dark. I know where to find that. Okay, mm. cut that. Got it. Mm. do we think maybe it could be possible that if someone was a butcher of particular animals meats maybe pig or whatever and that, you know we do they say that pig and human is not too dissimilar mm -hmm. in terms of anatomy yeah um do you think it's a possibility that maybe this person could have been a butcher or work at an abattoir or something and have some sort of basic general knowledge well that they 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 um went to most of the butchers around like the area in whitechapel and they Spoke to a lot of the butchers there. They were suspects. Uh, one was, I think his name was Ishan Smith, and he was a Jewish butcher. And um, yeah, they were, they could have had the knowledge that would they would have had better knowledge of getting those organs than say Jack Smith on the street. Mm. They would have had they, they would have had the the, the edge. On yeah. but and arguably the equipment. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but it's always been it's always been argued that not only butchers. But the uh, Jewish people in general find that sort of thing, not just murder, but cutting up and, and um, what Jack did, the Jewish uh, people find that absolutely abhorrent. Mm. They find that that's totally against their religion, absolutely against their religion. But because the, Vic the Victorian mentality was, oh, uh, an Englishman couldn't do this. It's got to be a foreigner. Mm. Where's the foreigners around here? We've got loads of Jews. Well, blame them. A lot of anti-Semitism at the yeah. at the time. Yeah.
Okay. I mean, throughout history, let's face it, throughout history, the Jews have been persecuted one way or another mm. for most of the bloody dawn of time, you know? Yeah. So it's just happened again. Um, now, we, we've covered the canonical five. Mm. Do we think there could have been any more? Are there any other murders that come after that that are in any way sort of relevant or could possibly be similar? Well, we spoke of Emma Smith, didn't we? Who was attacked by that gang of lads. Uh, so for, for the listeners, she's yeah. um, a woman that's killed way before... She was killed on the 3rd of April. So what, five months before? Yeah. It, the killing started, yeah. But she was attacked by a gang. There used to be loads of gangs around East End London around that time. Um, there was the old Nicole gang, that was a famous gang. And they were basically a bunch of guys that would terrorise the unfortunates, give us your money, a little bit like pimps if you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you didn't give them the money, or even if you did give them the money, you get a, a good hiding. Yeah, so they were like bully boys if you want. Mm-hmm. And this is what she, she was probably attacked by one of them, Roots, because she said herself she was attacked by four men. Um, I think one of them even attempted or did rape her, again, totally out of the Ripper's thing. So yeah, so you can discount her pretty well, I reckon. Mm-hmm. There was another woman murdered after that on August the 7th, and a lot of people think she could have been the first um, attempts of Jack. Her name was Martha Tabham. And she was found in George Yard buildings on the staircase. And she'd been stabbed 39 times. Um, But her throat wasn't cut. There was no obvious... um, How can I put it? There was no obvious target down here. Mm. Her lungs were punctured. Her heart was punctured. Her liver was punctured. Um, It's like a frenzied attack. It looked like a a pen knife. Small knife. And she had one big um, wound on a breastbone, which they reckon could have been made with a bayonet or a big knife. Mm-hmm. Wow, okay. And the night she was murdered, she was with a soldier. Oh, really? Oh, there you go. That good, uh, That's where you get bayonet. the weapon from, yeah? Yeah. Uh, but, so, but then afterwards, so after these canonical five, are there any that are fairly similar? Maybe are they copycats do we know of? Or yeah, I'd say there was copycats. There's one lady who was at a throat cut and they say she was... Uh, Adam was cut open but if you look closely apparently she had scars there almost like fingernails mm. yeah so that's not Jack that's not Jack mm. some some of the doctors said again some did some didn't uh, then you had another lady by the name of um, she went by the name of Rose Millet I think her real name is Catherine Millet again depends what book you read or what you know, what source you take and she was found um, totally intact nothing wrong but she was dead she had a, apparently a, a, a mark around her neck. And so the police and certain doctors said, well, she was strangled. That's what killed her, but nothing else. But when Dr. Thomas Bond, very famous doctor, examined this, said, no, I said, what that is? That mark's from a hat, a bonnet or something. She's fallen over drunk and it's choked her. Yeah. So she's died of natural causes. <laughs> Unfortunate. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, so... We've covered the victims. We've we've covered the world that we're kind of living in. Let's try and go over some of these theories and 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 some suspects uh, as to who we think this the Ripper may have been. Yes. So I'm going to sort of throw out a couple of sort of names and whatnot, and you can laugh at me if they're <laughs> wildly out of out of whack, uh, and we can go into the ones that you want to go in. Um, so 
uh, I mentioned one earlier, and you kind of really disproved it, but I'm interested to hear what the li- uh, for the listeners' benefit. Uh, leather apron or slash a local man. <coughs> what do yeah. we think to that? Well, there was apparently a character, a person, who used to uh, terrorise the women in the area, uh, saying, I'm going to rip you up. He's, he's a bit of a fruit loop, basically. And he was um, a cobbler. He used to do shoes and stuff. That, so his trade would have uh, meant he would have worn a leather apron. Unfortunately for him, when Annie Chapman was discovered, a leather apron was discovered in the backyard with Annie. It was in a sink. It's been washed. But we later know that it did nothing. It had nothing to do with the murderer. It belonged to someone in in the building who was, who was washing it for her son. But the two things gelled basically, and they got this chap called John Pizer or Jack Pizer, depending again. Um, and he went missing after the murders after uh, Marianne Nichols. And the reason why he went missing was he knew the press was saying never open this, never open that, and he was he was terrified, absolutely terrified for his life. So he ran off to a place called Mulberry Street and he stayed with his, uh, I think it's his sister and his brother-in-law, or brother and sister-in-law, I don't family anyway. And they said, well, stay, stay low, keep your head down. But they, the police found him, they arrested him, uh, charged him. The poor guy must have been absolutely terrified, you know, because he was like scapegoat. But he managed to clear himself because he had cast iron alibis, mm-hmm. absolutely cast iron. And he actually turned up at the inquest. This was a suspect at an inquest, a bit odd. But he was there to clear his name. And he did. He cleared his name. But he went on, apparently, he went on to sue the newspapers and he got money out of him wow. for, for blackening his name. And good luck to him. Yeah, yeah well, well done to him. Yeah. Early case of defamation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right, then. So that's that's that. Um, Aaron Kuzminski. Okay. Who's Aaron Kuzminski? This old chestnut. <laughs> uh, well, you got Aaron Kuzminski. You've got Aaron Kazminsky. You've got David Cohen. All these people have all merged together over the over the century. Um, Aaron Kazminsky, as we know him, as the, uh, the popular, he was basically a lunatic. He was uh, a bit of an imbecile. Um, he said he heard voices. Uh, he would not accept food from anybody. He used to eat food from the gutters, drink water from the gutters. Um, for him to be a suspect is just ludicrous because... The girls wouldn't have gone near him. This guy had to pick these girls up, had to make sure they're going to a nice secluded place, whether they took him or he took him or whoever. Then he had to do his, his business, which was, you know, which is pretty foul, and get away with it. So have this sort of basically dribbling imbecile do that. It's not mm. not really conducive, really. Mm. Really. But his name has cropped up. Yeah. Um as, so, in, as indeed hundreds of names have cropped up, a lot of them without any any reason to be honest Aaron Kosminski's name sort of propped up just because he's a bit different yeah is that and also the shawl the Catherine Edo shawl that was discovered some years back um, the DNA testing uh, said it, it belonged to Aaron Kosminski because of some semen stains on it okay Jack as we know didn't have any sexual contact with his victims so if he was Jack the Ripper then he wouldn't have been having sex with her. Mm. But then they found out the uh, the um, the actual test on the stain is certain numbers. I, I'm not I'm not into, I'm not scientist, but there was a certain number like this this number for this uh, uh, sort of semen stain is two point two two zero or something. And then the doctor 
whoever came up with it said, oops, sorry, I made a mistake. It shouldn't have been dot two, it should have been this, that and the other, which meant that stain could have belonged to something like 40% of the population. Mm. Yeah. And it's not even sure if that, that shawl belonged to Catherine Eddowes. It probably didn't anyway. Well, it's only that far removed. It's, yeah. it's hard to prove. Um, Montague John Druitt. Yeah. Remember that name at all? Not at all. <laughs> Who's that? Uh, well, it, when we did, when we would do our scripts for the Jack the Ripper bit in our tavern at the end, Montague John Druitt oh, was yeah, one yeah. of... Yeah, oh, yeah, I didn't pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> Very, very wise. <laughs> mm, go on, who's Montague John Druitt? And- Montague John Druitt was a barrister. Um, he was 30, 31. Um, some say he was a failed barrister, but it's, there's proof that he was a pretty successful barrister. He also was a teacher. He'd taught in Blackheath in the boys' school. And just after Mary Jane Kelly was murdered, the, the fifth victim, he was found in the Thames. He committed suicide. And he'd been in the water for up to about seven weeks. So the upshot of it is, is because a dead body is found in the Thames quite soon after the last murder, he's the suspect. It's basically, that is basically the reason why. Mm. There's nothing else. He didn't, you know, he didn't write anything saying he was the ripper. He did write a suicide note to his brother saying, um, something like, since Friday last, I'm, I'm a bit worried I'm going to be like mother. So I decided to end my life. His mother went mad. She was in an asylum. So he thought he was going crazy. But the reason why they think he killed himself was he worked as a, he worked as a teacher at the school in Blackheath. And about a week or so before he was found, he got dismissed from the school. So a lot of people think it's a boy's school, remember? So maybe he was being a bit naughty with the boys. He mm. might have, you know what I mean? He may have been... Um, should we say interfering or something? Maybe that's why he got dismissed. There's no proof about that, but you know, it's one one theory. But yeah, it, was, it would appear that he he committed suicide because he thought he was going mad like mum, like his mother, and mm. he was found in Thames. Mm. Some of these are quite sad, isn't it? That it, it feels like people that are sort of down on their look or outcasts or some like get the finger pointed at them, as you said earlier, because because of their differences. Yeah, when it could have. What the, the main theory is some random bloke from Whitechapel who's a bit of an opportunist yeah, and just getting away with it and the fingers being pointed elsewhere. Mm. Yeah. yeah if, you, if you stood out in any way, shape or form, you could have been suspect. Mm. I mean, my brother, for instance, he's um, an anatomical pathology technician, an APT. Wow. So what he does, he works very closely with the uh, the police and doctors and he basically cuts open dead bodies mm-hmm. and he to find out how they died. Mm. If it was murder and that sort of thing. Now, if my brother had been around during Jack's time, he would have been a suspect. He'd been, he would have been all into a police station. Yeah, absolutely. Easily inter- interrogated. Mm. Prime suspect. Mm. Um, what about Walter Sicker? Yes, what about him? <laughs> <laughs> um, would you be able to explain why maybe Walter Sicker is considered and, and maybe why his artwork in particular is probably what caused that? Walter Sicker was an artist. Um, I think he, he painted for the Dutch court, if I'm not mistaken. He was a very good artist, actually. Um, and he did paint a series of pictures called the Camden Town Murders. And one of them was called Jack Ripper's Bedroom. Now, the story goes, and it's not really proven, but the story goes that he had this 
flat, this, this room, it wasn't, in, it wasn't in Whitechapel, it was in Mornington Crescent, quite far away from Whitechapel, in fact. And apparently his, lady, his landlady came up to him one day and said, uh, you know, this room, this was before you took it. He went, no, said, Jack the Ripper's, this is Jack the Ripper's bedroom. He used to stay here. And that's why he, he painted one picture called Jack the Ripper's bedroom, so he mm. painted it in that room. To be honest, apart from that, there's no other real basis. I mean, he did take an interest in the Ripper murders, that is true. Mm. And he did uh, frequent Whitechapel quite a lot. In fact, he used to dress up. But he didn't only dress up as what people thought the Jack Ripper dressed up like. He dressed up, whatever he was painting, he would take on that theme. So if it was, let's say he was painting an actor, should we say. He would try and dress like an actor as he was painting. Mm. Just to see. get into that sort of character. That mm. was his, you know, yeah. his thing. Yeah. Apart from that, and the Jack Ripper's bedroom connection, there's no reason to believe he was Jack Ripper at all. Because mm. mm. there's that one... There's and not that... only that, it's Walter Sickett, sorry, but Walter Sickett, which really exonerates Walter Sickett, is when the murders were committed, he was in France. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Murdering them by proxy. Yeah. Someone else yeah. did it. Because there's the one image by uh, Walter Sickett, one painting of uh, what looks like, well, what is a woman on a bed. Yes, sir. And, and there is someone like... sat at the end of it. Yeah. On their like sort of leaning over. Yeah, I think it's called NUI or NUE. I think it's called. Yeah, and it's it's presumed that it is MJK just reimagined, you know, in his head how he pictures. Like it's almost so the, the theory is that he's he's painting his crime scenes yeah. uh, from memory. Um, it's worth checking out and looking. Obviously, a lot of these it will be if you're watching it. A lot of these will be put up there so you can see them. Um, just quickly before you get on to the next one, I want to touch on, because we mentioned clothing and dressing. So the classic image of Jack the Ripper is obviously top hat, cloak. Yeah. Where did that stem from? That stems from a lady called um, Fanny Morton. This was around the time of Lizzie Stride's murder. She notes a chap running down the street and he did have a top, top hat, little black Gladstone bag type thing, black long coat. So he fit the description. Mm. And because she, she see him running along she thought, ah, oh, that, that could be him. So she reported what she saw to the police. He's seen this, I think it's in the, the, the morning papers, realised, oh my God, that was me. I, me. I remember doing that. So he's gone to the police station with his bag. He said, this is me. Uh, I'm not Jack the Ripper. And opened his bag up and his old cigarette boxes. He, was, he used to sell cigarettes. Mm. And he was just, I think he said something, he was late for his breakfast or his, uh, his tea or something. Yeah. That's why he's in a rush. Yeah. His name was Liam Goldstein. Goldstein. Mm. Um, but as I said, instead of the papers on the next issue saying, I remember that we said about this chap with the black top at him. Don't worry about that. He's, he's, come, to, he's come forward. He's exonerated himself. Did I? They just left it. Yeah. And then that stuck. Yeah, yeah, it's quite a powerful image. Yeah. So what would men of the Whitechapel time of that era look like? What was the sort of standard dress? It had been, I mean, a couple of them were described as shabby genteel. So not like tramps, but not like toffs. Mm. You know? mm. Uh Salt and pepper coloured trousers, short peak caps, mm. uh, maybe a scarf around the neck, little jacket. Nothing, you know, nothing to turn any heads, to be honest. Yeah. You know? mm. You've mentioned before that for someone to who looks like a tough top hat tails, all that kind of thing, to be walking around this area, era, area of London. Mm. Wouldn't be basically what, walking around with a target on your back. Really are. Yeah, you are really. You've got money and yeah. you're more likely to be mugged. <laughs> This is why some of these these sort of toffs or the the more well off when they used to come into East London or into Whitechapel, 
I'm very honest, London. Um, to do the slumming, what we were talking about earlier, mm. they used to dress down to, to blend in. Because mm. if they walk down Whitechapel High Street, you know, all their, you know, fancy dresses, and you know, they'd have been, they'd been, that'd been it. <laughs> that would have been it, a bit of bloodbath, you know? <laughs> um, all right, let's talk about one that's very uh, left field. Yeah. Prince Albert. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Why is Prince Albert considered a suspect what's what's the whole story of that we kind of covered it early when we were at the 10 bells yeah so what where's this crazy story come from it's the freemasons thing that rears its head all the time um to try and nutshell it he, he apparently went into the west end of london uh with walter sickett mm. believe it or not so there you go you got two for one there <laughs> um and he fell in love with a, a, a girl called annie crook who was a catholic if you do your research, you find that Annie Crook wasn't a Catholic. She existed, she wasn't a Catholic. Um, the British monarchy at the time was not in the best of positions, with the Fenian rights, with the Irish. And all, all that would, it, it would take nothing at all to topple the monarchy. If some sort of scandal got out, it would topple the monarchy. So to have a prince, future king of England, marrying, Mexico apparently got married to her, marrying a common woman and a catholic more you got more than enough you got more than enough ammunition there mm. so he was dragged back to court severely reprimanded she and he was taken to uh guy's hospital and had a frontal lobotomy to have that memory re removed cleveland street was raided and it was actually raided but for a different reason um so that's where his name is involved in it and from there people have said so it was him he was jack the ripper no, it may be because of him the Jack the Ripper murders took place, but he wasn't Jack the Ripper because he was at, uh, I think, I can't remember which murders it was now, but during the murders, he was either in Sandringham, Balmoral, uh, celebrating birthdays and stuff. So he wasn't mm. even in, in the city. Mm. But because his name is attached to this, uh, this liaison with this woman, you know, you know people think they, then they, you know, Shoe on him in a bit, you know. <laughs> he could be the killer now. Bit of gossip there. A royal being a killer, sort of thing, you know. Mm -hmm. Bit like, yeah, the elephant man. And so, why these five girls in particular when it comes to this story? Because apparently, they, uh, Mary Jane Kelly was the witness at his wedding. Okay. So she knew all about it. So she's run off into the east end of London because Cleveland Street was in West London. And she's blabbed. She had a few drinks. She's blabbed. And she's told a couple of the girls, they know about it now. They've got to be silenced. Mm. So uh, the government have gone along, silenced them in a Freemasonic way. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a great story. It's an interesting story, yeah. yeah. But, but at the end of the day, I think that really all it is, is a story. Mm. It's one of them stories as well that makes complete sense and you go along with it until the evidence that he wasn't even in the area comes up and then the whole thing just collapses. Yeah. Because the Freemasonic thing... It's, it's, it sounds interesting. I think people are drawn to fascinating stories as well of sort of elite groups, especially with the intestines over the left shoulder and all of that and the, what is it, the little Vs under yeah. the eyes. Mm. People like to draw conclusions. And I must admit, when I first heard that story, I was really taken with it. Yeah, yeah. I was. When I first heard it years ago, I thought, my God, this is it. This has got to be it. But if you, de you delve deep, deeper, you find that it's not. I mean, what's the other thing I found out? It wasn't that long ago, actually. Annie Crook, the lady that he was well, supposed to have married, um, as I said in the story, she gets 
carted off to Guy's Hospital and has a frontal lobotomy. I looked into this lady, she did exist. But the sweet shop that she owned in Cleveland Street in 1888 wasn't there, didn't exist. Mm. And not only that, you can actually follow Annie Crook's timeline and you can find out she went from workhouse to workhouse to dos, dos house to dos house. And she eventually died in like 1920 or something. So she was just a name that got yeah. picked out of nowhere. It's all been lumped in. Like yeah. a good story. Mm. We love a story. Now, we have a man named James Maybrick, who yes. is a Liverpudlian. Yes. Who I believe when he dies, his things are rooted. If we go through all of his stuff, and they find letters and diaries and whatnot. No. What happens with that? No, what happened with that is James Maybrick is a suspect, mm. say, Liverpool cotton merchant. Um, it wasn't until about 1992 that his name really came to light because a guy called um, Barrett received a parcel from a friend of his, a guy called uh, Devro, and this guy was uh, both very good friends, uh, Tony Devro, they used to drink together. And Tony Devro said, look, I've got this. Just handed him this package done up in brown paper. He said, do something with it. Um, shortly after that, Tony Devro passed away. He was very ill, he passed away. And what he left, Michael Barrett was this book. It's a journal. It's more like a photograph album than a diary. And in it was all these entries saying, I will kill the whore, the oil master, this and da da. And he signed at the end, Jack the Ripper. And it became known as the Maybrick Diary. There's also the James Maybrick Watch. Mm. Um, but these were clinically tested. And like the doctors back in the day, some say, yeah, this could be the. Written in the 1880s, and others were saying, Oh no, it couldn't because you've got certain chemicals in the inks, which means it couldn't be written in the 1880s. Then they compared the handwriting in the diary to James Maybrick's will, which completely differed, means nothing. Handwriting can, can change if you're in a frenzied state or if you're in a relaxed state. Mm. That will may not even been written by Maybrick because he was an arsenic fiend. They say he died, he died of arsenic poisoning. And his wife went down. She was accused of murder. Uh, she was sentenced to death, but she was uh, her sentence was commuted. But she was released in 1917 or something. But she lived to a ripe old age. Um, yeah, so, so that's up for dispute as well. That and the watch also. I mean, the watch is quite fascinating because on the back of the watch, it's apparently it's got all the initials scra uh, scratched into the back of the girls. And then... The words, I am Jack, <laughs> on it. <laughs> but the fascinating thing that a lot of people pounce on that is because James Maybrick's family's motto was time reveals all. Ah, uh, that's... <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's something from a film, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And um, also, the, the area in Liverpool where James Maybrick lived, he lived in a place called Battle Grease House, big place. The area where he lived was called Whitechapel. Oh, right, There's yeah. a Whitechapel in Liverpool. Mm. Brilliant. <laughs> now, um, based on some of the truly outrageous people that we have covered on the show before, it seems very rare that people just stop. Mm. They're usually caught before they get to their, where they want to go or they, they, they end up killing themselves and whatnot. So the fact that these murders just stop leads me to my next suspect, Frederick Bailey Deeming. Yeah. 
What do we know about Frederick Bailey Deeming? Why is he maybe considered? I'll be honest with you, I don't know why he's considered, and I'll come to that in a second. But uh, Deeming, he was married. He had a wife and I think it's two kids. And he killed those. He killed his family, basically, when he was still in England. Um, and he buried them under the floorboards. He then went to Australia and he got married again. He did the same again. Mm. Now, the reason why he can take this completely out of the, of the picture is that you can't murder five women in Whitechapel if you're in Australia. He was in Australia. <laughs> Boom, it goes out the window. Really? Yeah. <laughs> but when he, when he was executed, he was eventually sent to the gallows. He had a death mask made, and I've seen it. It's really quite, quite disturbing, actually. Um, the Australian authorities sent the death mask to Scotland Yard and said, this could be your man. Hang on, how can he be our man when he's in Australia? <laughs> But yeah, it just it just caught on like all the other sort of theories catch on, you know. Yeah, there's a, a theory that he was in the he was back in England or something for a time period and then fled yeah. back to Australia. But going to Australia is not like us going to Australia. That's a a trek. You have to get on a ship for. God, yeah, it takes what twenty four hours on a plane. Yeah. Right now mm. you can't yeah. you can't just I'm going pop to Australia. Mm. The same with if there was another. I'm not sure if you went down there actually. Have you got Dr. Neil Cream down there? I have not. All right. Dr. Neil Cream, he was a poisoner. He poisoned um, several women, unfortunates. Um, and when he was on the gallows, because they caught him, put the noose around his neck. And just before the doors opened and he dropped, he went, I am Jack the Boom. And he fell. <laughs> and one of the inspector Abline at the time said, I think we've got our man. And you haven't. He was in prison in America during the time of the murders. <laughs> he was in a prison in Illinois. Yeah. There's no way he could get out of his cell, go all the way across to England, kill, come back, get back in his cell again, you know. Mm. <laughs> we've, we've covered an episode on him, but there are some people that say H.H. H. Holmes yeah. is, a, is a possible ripper suspect. Again, he wasn't in. He wasn't in around the Whitechapel time as a not notice. in and around. And also, we've covered and it, him, and none of his crimes and his killings are anything like no. the Rippers. Nothing like it. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, so, okay, let, let's come to <coughs> then the. Uh, we'll, we'll cover one more before we wrap up. Right. Uh, and I brought this up when we were in the Ten Bells. Um, Mr. Charles Cross. Yes. Who discovers the first victim? Yeah. And it's something that seems to go under the radar, maybe, that he could have been the guy, just because of pure coincidence that he is the guy that discovers the first victim. Someone comes across him and he's like, well, look, there's just there's just a girl here. Help me out. And then he's like, oh, should we go and get... He's like, no, 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 let's carry and go to work. If I find an officer, I'll send him back. Um, it's almost like he's trying to hide something real quick. It could be that there, uh, there is a documentary, I can't remember what it's called now. Um, it's quite a recent one, though, which suggests that what happened was he was the murderer yeah he's killed Mary Ann Nichols and um, then Robert Paul's come down and sort of disturbed him one of the main reasons for this being is it's hard to do it without a map but when Charles Cross left where he lived to get to Bucks Row he said he saw the body had a look oh what's that oh yeah then he's heard footsteps like more or less more or less immediately hmm. That was Robert Paul, yeah? But if you look at the time Robert Paul left where he lived, in Dufton Street, uh, where um, Charles Cross was from Dufton Street, where Robert Paul lived, 
by the time he got to Buck's Row, when it got to um, the time of the discovery of the body, 3.45, Charles Cross, Aka Latchmere, would have been with that body probably a good 10 minutes. Yeah, he's saying he heard the footsteps right, you know, immediately behind him. Mm. But this again is hearsay. It's all hearsay. We don't know. Mm. Um, the thing that intrigues me with Mary Ann Nichols is that the two guys said they pulled Mary Ann's dresses down because they were above her knees. Yeah, made it look decent. Yet when PC John Neal got to the scene after the two lads had gone. He testified in court that her clothes were in disarray. Hmm. Now, what leads me to think, maybe Jack's done the deed, Charles Cross has disturbed him, he's hidden in the shadows, Robert Paul's come along, he's heard him chatting away, he's waited for them to go, and he's gone, sod this, and he's, he's, he's legged it. Hmm. But at that time, because the boys didn't know she'd been done open, yeah, cut open on the chest and the abdomen, He's come out of the shadows, he's lifted the dresses back up and he's gone wallop and then run off. Hmm. Interesting. So, of all these then suspects, do you have anyone at all that you think, mm, maybe, or is there anyone that you lean toward? I'm not going to ask you to say who you think, but is there anyone that you sort of go, of all of them, this is the one that's maybe got the most, I don't know, what's the word? Stock. Um, yeah, yeah. Anything that's got the most thing behind it. I'll be honest with you, no, not now. I've read, I've read about so many suspects and so many of them you think, oh, that's pretty, yeah, they're good. Yeah, but then you read another, I don't know, that rings true. <laughs> Unless there's all these Jack the Rippers everywhere. You know? Yeah. It's, I think maybe at the end of the day, if someone was to put a gun to my head and say, who do you think it was? I'd have to say it's probably Joe Smo up the road. Yeah. A local man. Just a, a generic nobody that yeah. no one's thought of yet. Yeah. Killing stop maybe because he was in incarcerated for something else who just died yeah died of natural causes but yeah mm. okay. but then again I might be wrong yeah <laughs> <laughs> we never know never know um, well thank you very much for joining us today it's been uh, my pleasure do you feel like you've got any idea at all James to anyone that you want to put your stock into I think I'm of the same belief it's, it's an opportunist yeah. I did think earlier um, with the 10 bells that maybe it, there's multiple it might not be the same person but I think that's why this case is so fascinating isn't it we said it earlier with serial killers five victims it sounds horrible to put it in these terms mm. five victims for a serial killer is sort of like less than what you'd imagine but it's the, it's the unknown of the case that yeah. I think grips people and the fact that there are so many theories no matter which one you read they all seem to make sense until yeah. you read another one and then the old one doesn't make sense anymore yeah it's, yeah. it's really interesting. I think it's something you could just endlessly talk about and we're never going to get there, are we? Which is really no. annoying because I know people listen to these podcasts and I do where you want an end, you want a conclusion and you can move on with your life and it's just yeah. never going to happen. Well, it's yeah. one of the reasons why we've been wanting to get Terry on for the longest time because, listen, we, we do as much research and work and hard work as possible. If we can't get Terry to sit there and say, it was probably this person, we're never going to get anyone to... <laughs> <laughs> say it no without a time machine it's impossible no yeah. um well i hope everyone uh if you if you're watching if you're listening i hope you've enjoyed this uh it's been an absolute pleasure having you today and we really it's thank you for your time it's been a great day. it's been so amazing as well to see the sites and to put them into perspective mm. as well just as you as you go about your day like i work in the area as as we were on um 
Catherine Eddowes, well, not Catherine Eddowes, sorry, second Lizzie Stride. Lizzie Stride's Stride. death place. That's two minute walk from my office. I had no idea. Like, no <laughs> idea. And yeah. the first one's outside the back of Whitechapel train station and people just commute there. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's incredible. Absolutely incredible. They walk past it every day. Yeah. And people walk past us earlier talking about people being disemboweled and we got a few funny looks. Mm. <laughs> I had no yeah. idea what was going on. I highly recommend if you are in London, try out a Ripper tour if you're interested in the history of London. There is so much history in London to... It's a great walking tour as well of the area. It is. It is. Um, Brilliant stuff. Well, thank you very much for listening. And um, yeah, we'll see you at the outro. Well, there you go. I I sincerely hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed uh, filming and recording that. Um, It was absolutely fascinating to just spend a day with Tell. And and honestly, I learned so, so much about the whole thing. Like, if we'd sat there and I just like wrote an episode about this... I may not have got across that like Elizabeth Stride may not have even been a Ripper victim to start with. Like that absolutely shocked me to the point where like when we were doing a tour, you were like, oh, this is your thing, isn't it, right? And that like, you don't think she was a victim. And I'm like, absolutely not. Elizabeth Stride, I do not think was a victim. I think she was murdered by her boyfriend and she's just yeah. in on that like as well because it's convenient, you know? I, I, You swayed me to your way of thinking with that as well, I believe. Um because it, it did seem sort of weird. But then the murder in Mitre Square happened shortly afterwards. And then the way Terry explained it, it is feasible that they, uh, mm. the killer could have got there and been disturbed. I think I think this is the beauty of Jack the Ripper, isn't it? Like, there's so many theories and a lot of them are completely plausible. Yeah, yeah. There was I remember there was a moment where we were walking from Elizabeth Stride uh, to Catherine Eddowes' murder place. And I remember saying to Terry, like, you could literally make anyone fit, couldn't you? And oh yeah, hundred percent. Like that's the that's the beauty and also the curse of the cut of the case is that literally any single person you put a name to, you could make it fit if you want. And that's I, why it would never the, be. It was the prince, wasn't it? It was Queen Victoria's nephew. The is prince that Albert? One? Yeah. Yeah. He um. When you started explaining that, I was like, oh my god, it's him! Like you've completely sold me. And then Terry would come in with like another person. I'm like, oh my god, it was him! You've completely sold they all seem plausible until Terry then adds something later that then completely removes it. But as you're explaining it, everything sounded plausible. Mm, yeah, massively. Uh, it was, it was honestly, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. And I'm, I'm so glad we finally got it done. <laughs> oh, that was, a, it was a massive relief, wasn't it? It was four years of threatening to do it. And then we just, we, we just had it. We literally banged it all out in a day, which, looking back is kind of a slap on the wrist for us that it took us this long to do it but we did it um yes but i i I absolutely loved every second of it i was shocked that one of or the the murder site that you don't believe is a murder site you can see my office where i work Mm. from that site and i was like i've walked past this so many times and now here i am and everyone at work now hates it because i'm like do you know what happened there Um, (laughs) but 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 then terry um with his book and all the images to, to really sort of show us throughout the day what ha- what London would have looked like during that time. Um, the photos of the victims, which one of them was a fucking jump scare. Um, mm. And then to just finish off the day with a nice drink in the Ten Bells pub, which is the most amazing pub ever. Yeah, it is. It's good. It, it, it felt like we were transported back in time. Yeah, I mean, we didn't get much of a chance to sort of talk about it in the interview because it just didn't necessarily come up, but... 
Um, the Ten Bells pub is a pub that is famous as being the last supposed place that Mary Jane Kelly was seen before she was found dead. Um, and it's the same pub that she would have sat in all those years ago. Um, the layout of it doesn't make sense. Like, if you walk into a pub, it's not what you'd usually expect. It was, it was, It's a square, isn't it, with the yeah. bar sort of in the middle. Yeah. And then you sort of just sit around the bar. It's so cool. And it felt yeah. like the stairs to the toilet hadn't been changed since the 1800s either. They were scary. Oh, God, they were scary. lethal, they? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it was so good. Like, and, and just seeing the history of London and just how it's changed and evolved over time from then. Uh, it's just fascinating now of course james mentioned uh that terry had pictures and whatnot those pictures are on the uh video documentary for this episode um as i mentioned at the beginning we do have a patreon now that is up and running um if you do want to support us um you can do so by heading over to patreon please do check out our patreon plea video just because it will give you a hell of a lot more information in terms of like what we'd like to do things that we'd like to try uh, and what your money would be going toward uh, if you support us. Um, but yeah, the video is currently on Patreon uh, where you can see us doing um, Terry's tour, seeing a lot of the images that he would have showed us in his books. Um, they'll pop up on screen. And uh, yeah, you get to see us on camera. What's not cool about that? Uh, and so. obviously, I'm obviously I'm going to sit here and upsell it. But as you're listening, you probably heard us talking about some things and being like, "What what are they on about?" Like because you needed the visual cues. They are all on the video hmm. on Patreon. So if at any point you were confused and you want to sort of match things together, that's that's where it is. Yes, absolutely. Um, now, I, I I would like to state, and it's in our Patreon plea video as well. Uh, we have always been hesitant about making a Patreon. Um, I'd like to just quickly explain why we have a Patreon now. Uh, we always said uh, that we would have a Kofi uh, channel where you could donate to the show, uh, which you guys have done so graciously over the years. In fact, you guys have donated and used the merch store so often that it's paid for our distributors two years running. And we are so proud of the fact that the show now basically pays for itself, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, now, one of the main reasons why we never wanted to do the Patreon was we wanted you guys to have something worth your money. We didn't want you to just give us money and then us not give you much back. The show is free, uh, but we wanted to give you extra bits. So that's why we've been over the last sort of year and a half trying to figure out what it is that we could try and offer and what we could do um, to make it worth your hard-earned cash. Um, so that's where we've got now. So we, we feel comfortable and happy creating video content that we'll be putting out. Um, and therefore, you know, that's something else that you guys can get. Obviously, there is a side project as well called uh, Are You Qualified to Say That? There may be more coming as well. So we're really excited for those. Um, so, yeah, um, we'll always have the Kofi page next to it. Uh, that's always there if you do want to just donate to the show. Because, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Patreon is... It's a heavy thing. It's a subscription. It's a monthly thing. We don't want you to just sort of skint yourself. If you want to just one-time donate, you can absolutely do so. It's still always on the Kofi page, but the Patreon is there for those added extras. Right. I always feel I think guilty it's, about I that. think it's worth saying as well that before we started this call today, we spent quite a bit of time discussing future visual content. It's not It's not just a one and done. It's There's so many ideas and so much we want to do. Um, but unfortunately as is the way of the world it does cost money and mm. we're, we're not we're not wealthy i wish i was i act like <laughs> it sometimes um but the, but there is so much there's one idea that i think we could feasibly record 
super easily. Um, we meant. I, I don't want to get into it because I don't want to make false promises. Mm. But th- there is visual content on the way that we can we can do. Um, especially because we need to shout out Jenna as well. I think it would be wrong of us to not talk about Jenna, the person that followed us around with the camera all fucking day, mm. uh, filmed that Patreon video for us. Without her expertise, we would not have what we have. So yes, and and, and she's completely on board with this as far as i'm aware so ryan's told me yes we so we, we have a videographer uh on 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 the uh payroll although not being exactly paid. <laughs> so we have we have someone else in the team that is, is specifically for video which yes. is wild so so get on that fucking patreon and let's let's see some videos yeah and we've got some really cool exciting visual stuff like we have drones now we've got some gimbals like we're, we're really we're getting up there we've got some sti- we've got some it's, exciting it's not- documentaries coming yeah, it's not going to be shaky cam. It's going to be legit. Yeah, yeah. All right. I think that's a good place to finish. Uh, thank you very much for listening to this four-year special episode. Here's to another year. Let's make it five. Half a decade old. Let's make it to there. Um, oh, that makes me feel old. <laughs> and we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll be established. We are established. I love it. Thank you very much. If you've been with us from the start... Well done. Happy birthday. You've made it. If you're new here, you've got a lot to catch up with. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much, guys, from the bottom of both our hearts. Thank you for being with us and supporting us. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to uh, carrying on the journey with you. Goodbye. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.